And then you're like, oh, you're an animal. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. You are actually an animal that's living in my house that I dress up sometimes. <laughs> Welcome to the With a Dog Podcast, the podcast for the modern dog parent. I'm your host, Carly, and every Wednesday I bring on pet professionals or some fellow dog parents, and we laugh, learn, and commiserate about everything from the confusing vet visits to dog park etiquette to the 2 a.m. potty breaks. Essentially, life with a dog. Here we go. One more time. Everybody's feeling. We're feeling. We're. we're I don't know if we're feeling fine. Um, okay, so if you did not see my Instagram story, this is the second time I'm recording this episode. I recorded it initially, felt great about it, came back a couple days later to edit, and it sounded really weird. Like the the actual audio quality was off. So we're doing it again. And of course, the first time I recorded was Right after I had my morning coffee, I did like my morning affirmations, my skincare, I had my coffee, did my little physical therapy stretches, sat down, recorded a great episode, and I thought I did a very good job. Fast forward to now, it is 5 p.m., the night before the episode's supposed to go out. I've already done a day's worth of chores, spiraled about the previous recording that didn't work out. I'm tired, it's already dark outside, but we're going for it. I had to hype myself up. I had a lot of sugar. I had some caffeine. Maybe I shouldn't have had this late in the day, but I needed the energy to re-record <laughs> this episode for you guys. So yeah, the the vibe of the the last recording was so much like I'm so happy and life is doing life is looking really good right now. I feel ready for 2023 and I'm finally out of that holiday rut. I don't feel like that quite so much right now. <laughs> still a little bit. I'm still more positive than I have been over the last few weeks, but I'm not quite as filled with that um, inspiring happiness that I was before. And I just think it's very interesting how our feelings and our emotions can change on the day to day and our outlook on life can change just with, you know, getting one negative situation or at the beginning of the day versus the end or vice versa or anyway. I it, So that's kind of an interesting study <laughs> on my mental health. But I think the silver lining of having to re-record is that I can hopefully, fingers crossed, be more concise in this episode. Because today we are talking about things I wish I knew as a new dog mom, or things I wish I knew before getting a dog. As I said in my last episode where I was talking about falling back in love with dog mom life, I've been a dog mom for almost nine years. I've worked in the dog industry for over 10 years. I feel like a lot of things that I now take for granted, other people being first-time dog parents are just learning. And I've seen a lot of stuff on social media. People will post something and I just look at it and I'm like, well, duh. And it's like, well, yeah, you say duh, Carly, but they're learning that for the first time. And it, I think part of this whole thing of falling back in love with dog mom life is reflecting back on how far we've come and the things that I've kind of started to take for granted or the lessons, the learning, the knowledge that I have even just working in the pet industry, taking that for granted. And so the point of this episode is to 
hopefully impart lessons or things I've learned through Dog Mom Life, but then also impart things you guys have learned. So I'm listing my lessons, but I also polled all of you asking what you wish you knew as a first-time dog parent. I asked Dog Zaddy, I asked Charlotte Nashley, so I've got a nice list going, and I think this episode will be very helpful for one, if you've been a dog parent for a while and maybe it encourages you to reflect on how far you've come or maybe you can put into practice some of these tips and advice in this episode. But definitely more so if you know a first-time dog parent, if you are a first-time or newer dog parent, I should say, not first-time, but like newer dog parent, if you're still at the beginning of your dog parent journey, then I hope that this episode can be really helpful for you. So if you do know someone who is at the beginning of dog parent life, shoot them this episode. Hopefully it'll be useful for them. Couple caveats, disclaimers before we jump in. One is when I say dog mom life, if I ever say that in any of my episodes, because I, I referenced it a lot in my last one as well. If I ever say dog mom life, I just mean dog parent life. If you are a caretaker or a companion to a dog, this applies to you. I just use the term dog mom because I am a cishet female and that's my experience. But I, I really do think that any of this can apply to any gender, of course. So so dog mom, dog parent, dog caretaker, interchangeable terms to me. And then also, I think anytime I say first time dog parent, I mean when you're at the beginning of your dog mom journey, your dog mom life. You're at the beginning of it. You're within the first few years, first few months, because technically I'm still a first time dog mom because I have my first dog that I got when I was 23. Like he's he's still kicking, actually hanging out right next to me. Um, So yeah, so first time dog mom, I just mean newer to the dog parent life. These are the things I wish I knew back then when I was 23 and becoming a first time dog mom. Okay, let's jump in. First lesson I learned, I'll say it once, I'll say it again, said it many times on this show, pet insurance. I have many episodes on this. I'll put them all in the show notes. Well, not many, like two, I think, um, about how pet insurance works and then also how it's helped um, a fellow dog mom with her experience with her dog. And I've said it, I think, even in my biggest mistakes episode, which I will also put in the show notes. The biggest mistakes I made as a dog mom. I did that with with dog Zaddy. So we did that as a couple talking about all the stupid things that we did. So I think that episode actually kind of goes hand in hand with this one. But pet insurance. I adopted a very healthy three to four year old American Foxhound, my dog Lupin, back in 2014. He was healthy. He was happy. I was working at a vet office, so I had a little discount for his care. No one, vets included, rescue included, breed description, you know, like AKC, no one could have prepared me for the amount of veterinary medical bills this dog would rack up over the next five years. And it is my biggest regret that I did not get pet insurance. Were we able to pay out of pocket for it? For all of his care, yes. Could we have avoided paying for 90% of those charges if we had pet insurance? Also, yes. So it's not a matter of if you have the money or not to take care of your dog. It's 
do you want to spend that amount of money? Like, are you prepared to spend tens of thousands of dollars on your dog within the first few years of having them? He had very severe skin allergies that developed about six months after getting him. And then he got diagnosed with Addison's disease. His Addison's medication over the last six plus years of his life with us is about $150 every month at minimum. And we've been paying that out of pocket where it would have been covered for his entire life. Two very, very intense surgeries, emergency surgeries that required multiple days hospitalization, a very big recovery. And they were emergency surgeries, like things that you wouldn't have been able to anticipate those expenses. And I'm not the only one. I've heard this over and over online in my industry. I even have, I always have people reaching out saying like, hey, my dog was diagnosed with cancer or hey, my dog got this. Can you tell me more about pet insurance? And unfortunately, most of the time I have to tell them it's too late. Like you get pet insurance when your dog is healthy, not after they're already sick. I mean, you can, of course, to protect yourself for future things. But at this point, it's it's already a pre-existing condition and pet insurance usually will not cover it. So I'm not saying that pet insurance is the end-all, be-all, the best thing. It always works out for everyone 100% of the time. You know, it's still insurance. You have to read the fine print. You have to make sure it's covering what you want it to cover. But yes, as I said, biggest lesson I learned, my biggest regret being a dog mom. And honestly, like one of my biggest regrets in life is not protecting us a little bit more financially by getting pet insurance and also protecting my dog. We were fortunate that we could pay out of pocket for his expenses, but imagine you can't. And I'm talking, let's say like a $10,000 surgery and care. Like, are you prepared to just drop that kind of money? Are you able to? Because I never want anyone to have to choose between like their wallet, their bank account and their dog's life. I never want anyone to be put in that position. And also for the argument that said, people say, I've had pet insurance every month. I've been paying every month for the last seven years of my dog's life and they've never needed it. I mean, all I have to say is like, thank God. Good job for protecting yourself and your dog throughout those whole seven years. And thank God you haven't had to use it. All right. I got I got very passionate there. Um, <laughs> I swear this whole episode isn't going to be like so serious, but I'm just I'm very passionate about pet insurance or at the very least just you being fully, fully super financially capable to drop significant amount of money on your dog as needed. And, you know, my example with the $10,000 surgery, that came less than two years after his other like $5,000 surgery. So like, be prepared. And he's fully healthy living into his old age doing great now. So I'm so happy that we did drop that money. And but I still wish that I did not that we did not have to suffer financially during that time. And if we had gotten pet insurance when he was young and healthy, that's the right time to do it. So if you are someone who's looking at their purely perfectly healthy puppy or newly adopted dog, now is the time to get pet pet insurance. You can even set your deductible like super high so that your monthly cost, your monthly payment is very low. Like whatever you have to do, if it's just emergency coverage, like just for the really expensive surgeries or whatever you have to do, I just highly, highly recommend. Um, As I said, I have other episodes on how pet insurance actually works and, and the ins and outs of it. So I'll link those in the show notes. Okay, moving on. 
My next two are going to be directly opposite each other, like contradict each other. And so I hope I explain this effectively. But lesson is all dogs are individual. Like all dogs are different. Even if they're the same breed, they are going to have different personalities. They may have some common behaviors, but I have two hound dogs. How I treat each of them is wildly different. Like how I communicate to each of them, even just to go potty or dinner time, is going to be wildly different. And their reactions to my communication is wildly different. And I think this is actually really important for people who are thinking of getting a second dog or want another dog of the same breed as their current one. A lot of people just think that it's going to be like copy paste if they get the same breed. And that is not true whatsoever. I think this also really applies for people who maybe just grew up with that happy-go-lucky golden retriever dog who was just so happy to do anything and everything you wanted and was easy. And then you get your own dog and you're like, what is this nightmare? Because you've been either through prior experience or through media culture who portrays dogs as like, go play fetch with the tennis ball and 10 out of 10, good boy, woof, woof. You're fed this picture, this description of what a dog is. And then you actually get a dog. And oh my gosh, like they have their own specific personalities. And I think I knew that. I Like I really, really did. I think it applied more for me for getting a second dog. I knew that it wouldn't be copy paste, but the differences between Lupin and my other dog, Albus, are drastic in their behaviors, their personalities. Lupin is severely independent and stubborn. Albie is like, love me, give me attention, I will lick your face off. I'm just happy to be here. Albie, you can walk on any street at any time. You can do the same walk every day and he's just happy to be out and about. Lupin will see that you're going in the same direction as yesterday and dig all four of his paws in and be like, absolutely not. Give me something unique. So that was a learning for me, I guess. So like, that's why I bring this up is that every dog is unique. Every dog is different. Their personalities are going to be different, even if they're the same breed. And I think it's a really good learning for first time dog parents who think that they're going to see get that experience that they see on social media where it's like, woof, woof, happy, good boy. And then their dog has a very different personality and doesn't like to fetch, doesn't like to chase squirrels. And they're like, what is this dog? He's so weird. So I think it's just kind of like a a naivete to think that all dogs are the same. And so that's the lesson. All are not the same. Very different personalities. And then now my third lesson that is going to kind of directly contradict what I just said, that breed, like what breed your dog is, actually does play a very significant role in their behavior. So for me personally, I was always like, oh, it's nurture over nature. When I when I was first entering my career in the pet industry and in the dog industry, I really was like, every dog is so different and unique and and it's all about what their history is and how they're trained and how they're treated at home, etc. But then I w- worked at the shelter and you start to see on a very like macro level how common breed behaviors are. You start to see like, wow, all of the chihuahuas are hiding under their bed or <laughs> or like shivering in the corner. Or wow, all of the all of the herding breed dogs are barking their heads off climbing the walls. Or all the bully breeds and pitties and staffies are so excited when you come in to their kennel. They're just like crazy and happy, happy and tearing their toys up. 
you start to see all these commonalities with the breed and it has made me realize, so that's why it's a lesson that I learned, is that breed really does have a significant impact on their behavior, how they like to be trained, what they enjoy for enrichment, etc. So this isn't like a, oh my gosh, I so regret I didn't know that hound dogs liked to sniff things. But I think if I had come to that realization sooner in my dog mom journey, in my dog mom life, realizing sooner that my dog Lupin, 100% purebred American foxhound, loves to sniff things out. Like I knew he liked to sniff things out. I knew he had a good nose. But I didn't think about how much enrichment he gets out of those activities and those behaviors and how driven he is by those behaviors. I really could have capitalized on that sooner in my dog parent life, like in my dog mom life with him. I could have really gotten him into some dog sports that are scent related or sniff related, like barn hunt or something like that. I could have catered a lot more of his enrichment around that. And I, I didn't until he had been in our lives for quite a few years. So it's not a big regret. It's not like I did anything wrong by not acknowledging the specifics of his breed. But I think he could have been more fulfilled and I could have been more fulfilled by catering a little bit more to what he likes and his natural abilities. And alternatively, if you have a mixed breed, if you have a mutt or a mix and you're not quite sure what they like to do, Alvis is 50% English coonhound. That's what he looks like. The rest of it is like a mixed bag. A lot of it is herding. And you can just tell by his behavior, what drives his behavior is more of those herding breeds. He cannot sniff things out to save his life. Lupin will be like, there was a goldfish cracker on this sidewalk dropped by a three-year-old toddler, stepped on by 24 people, and there's one little crumb left and I will eat it off the ground. Like his nose is that good. Like he will, he will search it out a mile away and he will tell you what exactly happened. Albie, if he doesn't see the treat thrown at him, he, he'll never find it. He needs to visually see it. So I'm just saying that because of the differences in them and in the the breed that drives them. So as I said, Albie, the herding breed drives him. Because I can see that in his behavior, I can cater his enrichment, his training, etc. to more of herding breed type of things. So every dog is unique. And then also try to just see, you know, do some research. What breed groups do different things and see if you can assign some of the behaviors that your dog displays to a breed group. And then use those techniques for that breed group for your enrichment and your training and just lifestyle choices. Okay, so I think we're on to number four. So we've had pet insurance. All dogs are unique and individual. And then also what breed your dog is does play a significant role in their behavior. Those are the first three. The next one is dental health. This one is harder. And I do, I have had episodes on this. I've said it many times on the podcast of how much I regret giving Lupin bones and antlers when he was younger. I've had on a veterinarian dentist. I will link, I'll put that episode actually in the show notes too, because that's actually, that's one of my favorite episodes I've ever done out of almost 150 episodes at this point, because it was just so enlightening. And I think it's something that the dog world is not talking about enough is that is the dental health And I'm not talking about brushing their teeth every day or every week or every month or whatever. 
It's the stuff that I allowed Lupin to chew on when he was younger has negatively impact his health when he's older. Back in the day when he was younger, you know, three, four, five years old, this is 2014, 15, 16. This is the height of, you know, grain-free dog food and all natural everything. And don't let your pet chew on plastic toys. Give them something natural. They can digest a bone, a raw bone, or an antler that's found in the wild. So that was all the marketing that was surrounding chew toys at that time. And it was known and really advertised at that point that raw hides are not good for your dog. They still are not, so still don't recommend. But then the alternative that was given was raw bones. So I'm not blaming myself for falling victim to a lot of marketing tactics at that time. But I guess I am, I don't know, there's there's not a lot of blame to be put out because even veterinarians were saying like, yeah, a raw bone is good for your dogs because they can digest, you know, if pieces come off, they can't digest it, whatever. It's not going to like splinter in their stomach like like the the baked bones or like the bones that are cooked will splinter in their stomach and, and stuff. So I'm talking purely raw bones where there's marrow on the inside, still some meat on the outside, and then it's the bone or an antler from like the health food dog food store. So he would eat those. I would give them to him as his enrichment as a young dog. And he ended up getting a lot of cracked teeth, cracked molars, things like that. He's had to have three extracted. And it wasn't until he was more around like, I think it was like nine or 10 that those that those teeth started really declining because of those cracks. So we didn't know about the cracks at all until he was older. So on one hand, yes, I was giving him something natural and healthy that he could digest so for the safety of his stomach, but the the actual composition of the material is too hard for his teeth. And then it, there were ne- negative repercussions because of that. So basically, to round it out a little bit, the rule of thumb and why this is a lesson is that All veterinarians basically say if you wouldn't chew on it yourself, like if it's not soft enough that you would feel comfortable biting down on it as a a human, then don't give it to your dog. So there's a lot of like really, really tough chewer plastic ones, plastic toys out there that are a little bit better um, that as a person you would, I mean, it's not like you want to put it in your mouth, but like you could and you wouldn't be like, I'm going to crack my teeth. So that's the rule of thumb that this veterinary dentist said on his episode. That rule of thumb has gotten more popular. I've seen it on social media a few more times. But equal amounts, I have seen raw bones and antlers being touted as great natural chew alternatives by really famous Instagram famous dogs and people. And it just kills me because Lupin, although his teeth are okay on the whole, because of those cracks he sustained when he was younger... Now, as he's older, teeth decline, you know, as they do with anyone getting older. And I can't give him anything to chew on at this point in his life. So like even something softer, like a like they have those dehydrated sweet potato things or dehydrated vegetables or like a, a dental chew that is, you know, something that they can chew on and it kind of dissolves a little easier. I can't give him anything now because the stuff that I gave him when he was younger was too harsh. So. That's my own kind of personal regret of the the actions I took had a negative impact on my dog's health. So yeah, so dental health, 
don't give your dog something super hard to chew on. Maybe when they're younger, maybe when they're like two or three or four, they can they can be okay. But any age after that, I would absolutely not. It's it's my it's one of the biggest things I am <laughs> pretty passionate about besides pet insurance because it's things that have really directly negatively impacted me and my dog. Okay. Last but not least for my list, and then I'm going to quickly go through all the other ones that people have submitted. What I wish I knew is the sheer amount of time, money, worry, frustration, joy, attention that my dog would consume in my life. I mean, whew. I knew it going in. Like I knew this was a big step to get a dog and I was ready. Dog Zaddy and I were ready. We were excited. We were prepared. But what I don't think is talked about enough is the the amount that it consumes your life, like the portion of your life it consumes for consistently over a long period of time. Because I think on the day to day, you're like, okay, yeah, like walk the dog, exercise the dog, feed them. What do they we need to do for enrichment? Oh, it's time for their vet appointment. It it consumes a large part of your day in and day out because they're part of your lifestyle. But I think what's not really talked about is is how long they consume it for. And of course, you're like, yeah, Carly, we know the lifespan of a dog. Like, but I just I think it's one of those now that I'm in my 30s and dog Zaddy and I've been together for over 10 years. 90% of my 20s, I had a dog. 90% of my relationship with dog Zaddy, we've had a dog. And and that's not, I'm not saying it's like good or bad. I'm more than happy to have had Lupin and Albus in our life during these years. But I think it's just more of something that kind of makes me, it made me had a realization. And it's something that I, you know, of course, the title of this is things I wish I knew when I first became a dog mom or before getting a dog. And I don't know if you can really know the amount of brain space, financial, physical effort that your do- the dog consumes in your life. I don't know if you can know that when you first get the dog, but I want to include it in this list nonetheless, because I think just looking back at my life, at my adult life, so much has been consumed by dog things. And as I said, not for better or worse. I mean, probably a little bit better. It, it's just something that you kind of, as you mature, you're like, I wonder what my life would have looked like if we didn't spend the thousands upon thousands on surgery. Could we have put that towards travel instead? Would I be in better shape because I can go to the gym rather than going on that dog walk? Whatever it is, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's a negative thing at all. I'm just saying that I kind of wish I had the foresight to see, to think back and be like, wow, like 90%. It's it's almost like if you got together with your partner or if you got a kid like very young in life, like you, you kind of look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, like, wow, for a, the majority of the large majority of our relationship, we've been caretaking this thing outside of us. Or my money has been going to something outside of me, myself, and I. So, Because I, I don't want it to sound like I'm saying dogs are a big responsibility because, I mean, that trope has been played over and over again. I mean, it's accurate. But that, that's not what I'm trying to get across. I think it's just 
just like the knowledge, just the awareness to say, you know, when you go into getting a dog, this will be consuming me for at least the next 10 years, unless you're adopting a very senior dog or something like this lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. I guess that's a better way to round it out. It's a lifestyle that you really cannot change for many years to come. Okay, I've belabored that point enough. That was my list, everyone. So those are the the five main things I thought of. Dog Zaddy's vote was also pet insurance because it did come mainly out of his bank account. Um, <laughs> when when Lupin had those medical issues, I was still working at the shelter, being paid in like dog kibble, basically. So um, <laughs> yeah, so his vote was also pet insurance. Those are my top ones. Let's go on to what you guys said. I'm going to try to r- run through these a little bit a little bit more concisely. One, socializing is a must for your dog as they grow. I love this. I completely agree. Socializing and and I would like to say socializing is with everything, not just with other dogs. It's taking them to different stores and breweries and exposing them to different scents and sounds and experiences and people as well dogs of different ages dogs of different breeds like it's it's the whole thing exposing them to the world is socializing and i couldn't agree more with this advice that this person says of how important it is because for me i think the best thing is it, it allows you and your dog to be put into different situations and your dog be just slightly more comfortable with it so if you move into a different apartment and there happens to be a hospital down the street, they start hearing ambulances more. If you expose them to those ambulance noises at a younger age or or even just when you first got them, this is not just in puppyhood, although it's important then too, but, but even if you adopt your dog, you can expose them, you can do some socialization. Not all at once, you have to do it, you know, slowly at a measured pace, just like when they're a puppy. You know, it allows your dog to just be exposed to more things and be comfortable in more different environments so that whatever situation they get thrown in during their life with you, they're going to be just slightly more prepared for that. Okay, socialization. Next is training is a lifetime thing, not a one-time thing. And this one, I actually, I'm going to say goes hand in hand with another person's submission that was the importance of training, even if your dog already knows the basics. So one is training is a lifetime thing, not a one-time thing. So that's like if you're just bringing your dog home, whether they're a puppy or adopted at a later age, and then you teach them the basics, you teach them the like sit, stay, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, great, they can go on their way and be a great dog for the rest of their life. No, because you need to reinforce that training for the rest of their life. You need to maintain that training that you did. So that's kind of the, it's a lifetime thing, not a one-time thing, because anyone who's had a puppy knows that you train them to sit and then three months later, they've completely forgotten all of it. And you're like, what the heck? You're you're now a teenager and you've forgotten everything you've learned? Lupin Ledkey, no thank you. No thank you. No licking. Good boy. We're almost there. You gotta wait. You gotta wait, please. So you need to reinforce throughout their lifetime. And then also the importance of training, even if your dog knows the basics. I asked this person to explain a little bit more and they had such a great answer. Basically, they said, you don't just go to like one puppy class and think you know how to train your dog dog from there on out. Or 
you don't continue learning about training throughout your dog's life. Because I think a lot of people, they'll train once and then they'll be like, great, we're done. And they know how to sit, they know how to stay. And even if you continue training those specific commands, you need to be able to train your dog throughout their lifestyle for different things too. Like the example I said earlier, all of a sudden you move to a different apartment and you're on a busier street. Like you need to be able to train them to not chase after the cars or freak out when the ambulance goes by or things like that. Like you need to be able to consistently train them forever. And many times that that does require maybe meeting with a professional trainer because they could expose you to different training methods, different ways to train for different breeds. And then also they could tell you that your dog is communicating something to you that you never picked up on because you didn't know that that certain behavior they were displaying was actually them telling you something. So I think, yeah, I think both of those are so great. The importance of training more than just the basics throughout their life. And this is something I need to take to heart because (laughs) you guys know I am a low effort dog mom and I don't enjoy training my dogs very much. It's just something I, I can't, something that I have a hard time doing consistently. And I think, yeah, I, I could learn this lesson a little bit myself, I think. This next one, okay, I love it so much. Um, <laughs> so this person wrote in, even the the cute diva dachshunds still do d- disgusting, horrible things. <laughs> like, And so it's basically, they're still dogs. They are going to be gross sometimes. It's so easy for us to anthropomorphize dogs and say like, oh my God, he loves his bed when it's close to the fire and this sweater is his favorite. And oh, look, he's telling me something right now with his eyes. I can tell he has a little smile. And then your dog goes out and rolls in mud or eats a bunch of rabbit poop in the backyard or gets the cat, you know, eats the poop out of the cat litter box or they bring home like a bloody dead rabbit that they just killed. And then you're like, oh, you're an animal. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. You are actually an animal that's living in my house that I dress up sometimes. And so I think that is, this is like one of my favorite ones that people submitted because it's so easy for us to romanticize dog parent life, especially new dog parents, because they see things on social media where it's just like glossy golden retriever coats and cute dog mom fits for their walk and etc. But really, you've got your dog who's like complete diarrhea, eating random crap out of the gutter, licking their own butt and then trying to lick you. And you're just like, you are disgusting. So yeah, I just I love that tip. (laughs) I love that tip so much. (laughs) So dogs are still animals. Next one. Some advice out there is just bad. Hallelujah. Yes. Okay. This is, it's so hard to be like, this is my favorite for every single one. But the advice out there for dog parents is appalling. So some of the advice out there is just bad. It's, of course, I say this as I'm giving advice on a dog podcast. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, there's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of trainers out there that are really famous on Instagram. And you know, what works for a, for a Belgian Malinois is potentially probably not going to work for your hound dog for training. And what works for some dogs' allergies, food allergies, is not going to work 
for your dog's food allergies. And so there's just some advice out there that is either just completely does not apply to you, your lifestyle, or your dog, or it's just plain bad and it's not good for any dog, i.e. the antlers and the raw bones like I talked about earlier. So it's you're not a bad dog parent if you fall for some of this bad advice. You aren't at all. I think it's just something that you need to make sure you research and you really look into, is this right for my dog? Does this company mission, whatever, stand for what I stand for? Do they have some kind of, you know, certification backing? And what kind of certification was that? Was it something that you can achieve, you know, within 72 hours of training? Or is it something that takes a long time to learn? You see what I'm getting at. Some advice out there is just bad. And it's up to you as a dog parent to have to take everything with a grain of salt and do some significant research, which is annoying when you're a new time, new dog parent. Like that's really hard because you don't know. Like you you don't know what's good or bad or whatever. You're just, you see someone on a video who looks very professional giving you advice for your dog. And yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. I, I think, you know, just the way to go is just only listen to my podcast. Um, <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. I think just be wary. If, if anyone tells you like, this is the only way to train your dog, or this is the only food that will make your dog healthy, etc. I, th- I think that's when you take things with a grain of salt. Unless it's a vet who's like, this is the only medication that will work for your dog. I personally always follow my vet's advice. Yeah, love that. Love, love, love that, especially in this era of social media. It's really easy to fall for some bad advice. Okay, next is crate training will save your sanity, your house, and your dog. Just do it. Thank the Lord. Praise be to the crate gods. I completely agree. It's so interesting. This is definitely one of those things that I took for granted when I got my first dog, when I got Lupin and even Albie. There was no question in my mind that we would crate train, like none at all. And I'm not saying that it goes um, 100% smoothly for every single person who tries to crate train. There are some dogs who outgrow it, have a hard time adjusting to it, et cetera. Like there's, there's a lot, you know, it is still training them to do something, but Crate training, like I knew all the whole time I was like, yeah, crate training, of course, like we're definitely going to do that. I didn't know until like years later that people thought crates were barbaric or you were like imprisoning your dog or, oh, I don't like the idea of it, a crate. I, I got them like a soft crate, like a soft edged one or whatever that they can chew through. And I, I was like, what? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but imagine a crate as a bedroom. Like imagine if you grew up in your parents' house without a bedroom. That's how I see it. You're giving your dog a safe place. Like you're giving them their own space that no one else goes into. This is where they nap. This is where they can chew their toys. This is where they're not going to be bothered. And they're safe in there. They feel safe. You feel safe because you you know that your dog is in their happy, safe place. I, yeah, completely agree. Crate training is the only way to go. I need to do a whole episode really on crate training and and the the ideology behind it. But yes, agree. Crate training, so important. Last but not least, love this one. This is like a two-parter. You will care so deeply, 
like so deeply about dog food and the poop schedule and their exercise and what enrichment they've gotten today and does their coat look shiny enough and health and like you will care so deeply about those things. This goes back to kind of just saying what I was saying earlier, like the sheer amount of energy that they consume from your life financially, emotionally, time-wise, etc. But like you will care so deeply about every single one of those things. So that's like part one of the statement. Part two is, and sometimes your partner will just be like, yeah, we have a dog. I love them. And <laughs> and I mean, we could get completely into the whole dismantling of gender roles and why women often take care, you know, go into these caretaker roles and have to do all of the managing about dog stuff and blah, blah, blah. Like we could definitely dissect that. But I think what I would take away from this is that you sometimes if you have a partner, if you have a dog with a partner, or even if you are a single dog mom, and then a partner comes in to the relationship, like when you already have your dog, and they become dog dad or whatever, another dog parent, sometimes they are going to have drastically different priorities than you do with dog stuff. So for me, I am the like, okay, what exact vitamins are in this food and why is it this kibble consistency seems different than the last bag? Have they gotten enough enrichment today? What's going on? Are their nails are a little too long? And dog zaddy is like, are they are they emotionally taken care of? Should we cuddle them more? Go kiss your dog, Carly. Like <laughs> things like that. And so so it what I mean is the priorities are different. And so we split responsibilities, I think actually very very well which I'm proud of between dog Zaddy and I is that the dog responsibilities are split like pretty evenly. However, the priorities are just so, <laughs> just so not lining up. Like, of course, the dog's like health and food and everything is a priority for dog Zaddy. But what he thinks about more, like something that's higher on his priority li list is like their safety and happiness. I'm more of like a fuck around and find out type of person with with the dogs you know like push them out of their comfort zone a little bit in order to achieve this new comfortability you know like expose them to different things that may be a little scary or or uncomfortable with them i am more willing to do that so that they can exist in our world more and we can do more things with them so the best example of that is you know lupin when we moved to London, he had to figure out how to ride the tube and um, he was off leash because they have different leash laws over there. He's off leash in the park and et cetera. So he was pushed out of his comfort zone and I was fine to take that leap with him. Like that was my priority was like, OK, let's expose him to these new things. Dog Zaddy, on the other hand, was the one to pull me back by my coat and be like, no, 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 this tube is way too busy. We're waiting for the next one or mm, we're taking a cab home. I'd rather shell out the money than push Lupin too far. So yes, I think that's a really good example of sometimes you and your partner, like you will care so deeply about certain priorities and your, and your partner will just be like, I love cuddling with them on the couch. And you're like, <laughs> and sometimes that makes you want to scream like, ah, I'm looking into the nutrition of this food. And you're over there like, look how cute his ears are. Um <laughs> So yes, I think that was a great, uh, great one to end on and, and a funny one just about dog parent life, especially if you have a partner. Okay, 
I did not make that nearly as concise as I wanted to. But thank you everyone for listening to, to this. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was useful. As I said, send it around. If you think it's useful to someone else who's contemplating getting a dog or maybe they just adopted or got a new puppy, anything like that. I hope it's useful for them. If you like the episode, give it a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen on. And if you've already rated or reviewed, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Give us a follow on social media. All the links are in the show notes. And we will see you next with A Dog Wednesday. Bye. All content on the With A Dog podcast is for informational and comedic purposes only. It should not replace professional advice, treatment, or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer, or behaviorist.